This is The Sharp End, a podcast from accidents and North American mountaineering. I'm Ash Sapi, your host for the show. The second show put out last month had over 3,000 listens in the first 24 hours. I'm overwhelmed with how much support and interest this podcast has received thus far. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And remember, if you like what you hear, let the AAC know. Or even better yet, share this link. For this episode, we're bringing you something really special, something a little bit different. Last year, Eric Hengisbaugh won a Live Your Dream grant from the AAC to go climbing in the Palisades more than 10 miles into the High Sierra backcountry. The Live Your Dream grants powered by the North Face are designed to help AAC members do life-changing trips and grow as climbers. Unfortunately, this trip started badly. On their very first climb in the Palisades, Eric took a fall and was badly injured. Amazingly, he recorded the whole thing and afterward he made an hour-long podcast about the experience. He sent it to the AAC as his Live Your Dream Grant trip report, and now I'm stoked to share part of it with you. After you hear his story, we'll chat with Eric a bit about the accident and what he might have done differently. But for now, here's Eric describing the start of that first climb. The morning of September 1st, the four of us set out to climb the surgical. Four to five pitches of 5'7", 5'8", climbing. A perfect warm-up for the longer climbs that would come later in the trip. Peter and I would climb up the east face, and Brian and Gabe would go up the north rib located further right. The plan was to meet at the top, then repel the east face. But that day, our plans changed. The four of us spent the better part of the morning dividing gear and trudging up the steep slope from camp. We finally split up under the imposing east face of the surgical. Peter and I geared up and then began our climb. I uh, just finished the second pitch on the surgical. Five, seven, maybe like two more pitches to go, not exactly sure. First done by Don and Joan Jensen in 69. Big boy. Yeah. This that super white one's loose. This guy? Yeah. Nice work, dude. Much, much nicer that one. Oh my god, yeah. I can't believe it's 130. Start at like eleven, you think? Yeah. Slow going and all stuff. Yeah. I'd rather be slow and safe than yeah. <laughs> quick and dead. Amen. What is it? Um, yeah, better arrive late than be dead last. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, a lot of loose stuff on all this, huh? Mm-hmm. No sign of life from the other side. I heard him on the... Yeah, I hear their shouts. Oh, yeah? I, I think they've probably done about two pitches from what I've heard. It was just before 3 o'clock when I started up the fourth pitch. The obvious line of the climb had disappeared. I traversed left from our anchor on a small ledge for about 20 feet and placed my first piece of protection. I climbed up higher and placed a second piece. I climbed higher still and was just about to place a third when I decided to make one more move to an improved stance. I was 15 feet above my last piece of protection and more than 200 feet above the towel slope below. I could feel the emptiness behind me. I moved my left hand to a rather large block, tested it, then moved my right to it as well. As I leaned back, the rock came free under my weight. Instinctively, or perhaps because I was losing my balance, 
I let go. My brother Brian was playing Gabe up their third pitch on the other side of the feature, and he heard me fall. I was uh, hanging out on belay, and that's when we heard heard the sound. Uh, I actually heard your initial call that was the falling call, and I could actually hear you changing elevation uh, as you were yelling. Uh, so I knew that there was a pretty substantial fall that had happened. I'm almost ashamed that uh, that I let my mind go so so low so quickly. But my first some of my first thoughts were, am I am I still a twin? Here's what I recall: the moment of letting go, my vision narrows, and I enter a sort of dream state. I ask myself if this is reality and some other voice answers simultaneously that it most certainly is. I'm disappointed in myself for falling, for making such an avoidable mistake. My stomach has a sinking sensation you feel when cliff jumping or going down a drop on a roller coaster. I'm facing out from the cliff as if I'm on a slide. I have no sensation of my body in space. I cannot see the ground coming up fast. I see the bright red color of my backpack. I do not lose consciousness. Gabe! Brian! Gabe! Brian! Gabe! Brian! Gabe! Brian! When I tell people this story, they struggle to understand why I fell so far. Was I wearing a harness? Was I using a rope? Was I alone? Did some part of the safety system fail or break? Or did I make some kind of horrible mistake? In the end, I think I fell about 35 to 40 feet before hitting the ledge I had traversed earlier. All my pieces of protection held, which kept me from falling another 200 feet to the ground. The reason I fell so far was because I fell at the most vulnerable moment, just before I was going to place my next piece of protection, approximately 15 feet above my last attachment point. I fell in a section of the climb where it was not okay to fall. The climb in this part was not completely vertical. So after letting go, I fell through 35 to 40 feet of space. Picking up speed and finally arrived at a ledge feet first with nothing slowing my impact except the thin rubber of my climbing shoes. My right foot took the bulk of the collision. I shattered three bones in the ankle and dislocated the damn thing all in one go. The force then radiated up my back and crushed the load-bearing L2 vertebrae under the intense pressure of the blow. I yelled out in immense pain. I yelled out in frustration, in disappointment, In the realization that the trip was over before we had even finished our first climb, I yelled longer than I really needed to. Then my body whipped back against the restraint of the rope, and I stopped. At the time, I didn't know the extent of my injuries, so I went off what I could assess. My right ankle was clearly broken, twisted about three hours clockwise from where it should be, but more alarming was the realization that I had intense pain in my lower back. For the moment, it was so bad I was struggling to breathe. It was clear I fell far enough to break my back, but I didn't want to believe it. Ignorant as that was, I was trying to summon every bit of optimistic energy that I had. I quickly realized I needed to stay focused and work diligently to successfully get out of this situation. This meant staying composed and engaged in problem solving. I told myself the back pain was a slip disc, muscle spasms, whatever. I was lying to myself. 
propagating any false explanation for the pain, anything other than the eventual truth that I had crushed my spine. In any case, I was conscious for now, and I could still move my legs. My climbing partner Peter is a trained wilderness first responder and was able to get to me by extending his attachment to our anchor. And with complete professional composure, he checked me over. By some miracle, I was not bleeding heavily, and after some rest, the pain became manageable. Although we recognized the potential severity of moving a patient with back pain, we chose to traverse the 20 feet back to our original anchor, where the ledge was big enough for me to lie down. We figured we would wait there for Brian and Gabe to join us. We thought that they would continue up their route and then rappel down to us. After waiting for them for three hours, we considered our situation. We were still hundreds of feet up on our route, on a ledge barely big enough for the two of us. We have no help of cell phone service in these remote mountains. The route is obscure, and it wouldn't be likely that other climbers would pass below us. We were a little under a mile away from our camp, but in order to get there, we'd have to descend over 2,000 feet, on terrain covered in unstable boulders the size of microwaves or bigger. The cars were another six and a half miles from camp. It was 6 p.m., and it would be dark soon. The golden rule says don't move a person with a potential spinal injury, but we didn't like the idea of sleeping on a small, exposed ledge, without sleeping gear, where overnight temperatures would hover just above freezing. We had been hearing muffled shouts from Brian and Gabe, but for now they had gone silent. The last time we'd heard from them, it had sounded like they were below us. We thought that they'd hiked out for help. We had a decision to make between staying put or rescuing ourselves. And with all this in mind, we decided to go down. Feels better to do things that are active than to passively wait, huh? Yeah. You feeling okay? Yeah. Uh, I guess a little nervous, but I'm. I'm not worried. Right. See you in a little bit. Yep. See you at the bottom. Have fun, huh? Embrace the adventure. Yeah. Definitely doing <laughs> that. Peter repelled first, and I followed. I backed up my rappel with an auto block, and Peter below was tending the ropes on a fireman's belay. And by placing my right knee on the ground instead of my foot, I was able to make okay time. I went down first, and then Eric was going to come down, and I was going to be a backup fireman's belay, just in case. But he pretty much was able to operate his own belay, just bouncing on his left foot. But there was a certain point on his way down that he actually hit his right foot against the rock, which sounded painful and I think it canted the angle even more and it did not seem like fun. <laughs> so we got down to one of our other belay ledges that was good for us to sit on, had enough room. We were going to pull our rope so that we could you know, start setting up another rappel and our rope was stuck. You know, we have no contact with Gabe and Brian. It's getting later. You know, We need to do something about this. So we you know, it's not like Eric could do anything, so I started ascending the rope. I probably got about 20 feet up. I hear, I don't know if I heard Gabe and Brian, but I just remember looking up and seeing this head pop over, and it was Gabe, and it was the first eye contact we had had in I don't know how many hours. Um, and it was just such a relief, and it was such a stroke of luck that we had even made eye contact, and it was one of the best feelings ever. I think I was at the bottom of my first rappel, or maybe on second, and saw Peter attending up the rope, and he just yelled out. He was pretty cheerful, which was amazing. He said, hey, really good to see you. Like, Eric's got a broken ankle. 
And I was just so relieved to hear that. Oh my God. Just to know that we were going to be getting out of there alive. And Brian, I guess, hadn't heard that. So when Brian held down to me, I, I told him and I kind of, kind of cracked right there. Um, just, I think just saying it out loud, the relief was just really overwhelming. Remember, we had thought these two had hiked out. By this point, we hadn't heard from them in hours. The last light in the sky was almost gone. Gabe, we're here. Brian, we're here. We got a good ledge over here. Come on down. We're here. Left. Yeah, we're like right under you, so if you want to go more climbers right, um, there's a little bit of a better landing zone. Hi. How we doing, guys? Hey. Eric, how are we? I'm okay. Yeah, we went down, and then Damn, the rope got stuck. Oh. I had to ascend. Oh, that's what I just um, started to do. And none of it matters. Hey, man. Eric, how we doing? I think it's broken. I'm really sorry to hear that. You want to look at it? Oh, yeah. That is pretty swollen. <laughs> All right, let me focus here for a second. Yeah. What are the pitches like below us? They're vertical. Clean? Yeah. Wouldn't you say, Peter? Yeah, those were definitely, like, cleaner than what's above us in terms of, like, rockiness and okay. looseness. What's up, Brian? Hey, guys. Um, Dude, so you guys are heroic. Did you guys climb that same climb twice? Uh, we. That's a long story. Yeah, we'll we'll go through that later. Yeah. Is that okay, Spots? Do you all feel like there's any risk of exacerbating a back injury by repelling? Um, we consider that honestly before the first move. Yeah. Um, and then before the repel, my back honestly feels okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, I don't know. It's hard to say. Brian attached me to his harness and lowered us together. We sheltered under a small boulder as Peter and Gabe descended after us, small rocks shooting past our granite shield. My breathing was becoming shallow and labored. We all made it safely to the ground just after 10 o'clock at night and spent a good amount of time discussing the evacuation plan. Once we split up, communication would be impossible. Gabe decidedly led the group. He is trained as an EMT and had just finished an instructor's course with one of the premier outdoor guiding companies in the country. Gabe would be my tending medic, which left Brian and Peter to return to camp. Peter to return with necessary supplies, sleeping bags, water, food, while Brian would hike through the dark and imposing solitude to call for help. Gabe took a last set of vitals and passed Brian some notes that detailed, among other things, my condition and our location. And with that, my brother gave me a hug, made some good eye contact, and then, with Peter, walked into the night. Like they're almost back to camp. I'm gonna take a quick set of vitals for you as you're falling asleep here. Mm -hmm. I don't want you getting shocky on me. I'm just about. No. Thankfully, you didn't really bleed at all, huh? Yeah. That's pretty good. We haven't. The thing we haven't done that I don't know is a secret necessary at this point. We haven't uncovered the wound. Like we haven't opened the. We haven't taken the shoe off. We haven't looked down at it. I haven't looked at it. Um, but there, it doesn't seem like there's like any bleeding or anything other than massive swelling. Would you be okay with me unwrapping it to take a look? Yeah. Um, I don't yeah. like the idea of not knowing what. Yeah. yeah, yeah. what's under there. Yeah. How are we doing? That's fine. Just keep going slow and steady. Yep, that's good. Keep going. Keep going. You're fine. Excellent. That's good. 
Oh, yeah, that's fine. A-okay. Not a problem. Honestly, the pain when you're pulling down, Gabe, isn't too bad. Okay. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it doesn't hurt so much. So if you want to just go for around the heel, just go for it. Yeah, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right. It's okay. Not a problem. Good champ, buddy. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah, go for it. Good. Nice. Good. Ugh. Not a problem. You're good. All right, we're clear. No bones sticking out? Awfully close. Gabe was doing his best to keep me warm, arranging the two emergency blankets we had around me as best he could, and then he gently laid himself over me. Each time he got up to signal Peter, I would deteriorate into fits of uncontrollable shivering, racking my body with pain. Our headlamp was almost extinguished by the time Peter arrived, and together they both helped me into my sleeping bag. Despite the circumstances, and despite the pain, I quickly fell asleep. It's morning on the hillside when I hear the whomping vibrato of the helicopter, soft and distant, and I question if I'm imagining things again. I look over at Gabe and Peter and they've heard it too. We've all been up for a few hours watching the peaks bronze with the morning light. I shut my eyes and pain throbs from my broken foot and my back just won't stop hurting. We spot the helicopter circling the valley below. Are they putting down? Yeah. Are they putting down? Yeah. Gabe pulls his yellow sleeping pad out and signals the pilot. Peter looks at me and gives me a nod that means it'll be all right. Give him a wave. I close my eyes, willing sleep to return, but the pain is too distracting. The search and rescue team arrived in pairs as the helicopter dropped them off in the only safe place they could put down. The landing zone was only a half a mile from where I was, but we would have to descend over 2,000 vertical feet to get there. The first rescuer got to us just before 11 in the morning. The process was long and delicate. They had to hike up and down the talus slope several times to retrieve all the gear they needed to take me down safely, including two 600-foot ropes, a stretcher, a vacuum splint, Materials for massive rock anchors, and of course food and water for the day. It took the better part of the morning and early afternoon to decide on a method to lower me in the stretcher. They couldn't simply walk me down the slope because it was too steep and the ground too unstable. So instead, they tied both 600-foot ropes to the head of the stretcher, secured by massive anchors in the rock, and lowered slowly as four others guided the foot of the stretcher. All right. Hey, thanks for coming up all this way. All right. Thanks for coming up all this way. Oh no, no worries. I'm Matt. My name's Eric. Oh, we have kind of good, good sensation stepping off. Yeah, those. you bet. Can you tell me which toe I'm touching there? Uh, it's like the ring or middle toe. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And everything else? No head? Didn't hit your head or anything? No. Okay. Back? What, do you remember hitting it, or was it just kind of? It was. It was a blur coming down, but um, I think I hit my feet first, and then went pretty quick to my, to my back. <laughs> to your back. Okay. Um, so we're gonna have to get you down. Probably, if we can, utilize you guys' help as much as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The next heli is going to come in with an actual litter on it that we'll get up here. Okay. Laura, Julie. Go ahead, Julie. Do you have a visual on me? Uh, I do. So I think what we're going to do up here is get a high directional on the cliff face um, and set up our main anchor up there. Break. How are you doing? Are you warm enough? Okay, I am. Thank you. So you have an ankle injury? What else is going on with him, Matt? Uh, just, just back pain. We're just gonna get things in place right now. Just tell me how I can be helpful. Sure. 
Yeah, more hands are better, um, but it's definitely going to be unstable terrain. There you go. Yeah, do you want some help sitting up? Yeah, just a little bit. How's that there? So if you can just relax this leg and instruct Matt how he can hold it, and then you scoot your butt right over here. Even with the massively long ropes, we had to repeat the lowering process three times before the ground became level enough for them to pick me up and carry me the final 500 feet. Peter and Gabe helped on the stretcher the whole day, and without much sleep, and after an exhausting previous day, Gabe describes the work that was required on this descent as one of the hardest things he's ever had to do physically. We knew we needed to make it down before sunset. Helicopters don't fly in the mountains at night, so we were rushing to get down before dark. I was too emotional to realize that when they set me down like a sacrifice at the foot of the chopper, I was almost left behind. We arrived at the landing zone just eight minutes before the pilot's hard leave time. Eight minutes until I was going to have to spend another night in nearly unbearable pain. I had been strapped down for almost seven hours. Happiness and high fives went all around. Okay. I'm going to run up here. I need someone to tell me what I can load and what needs to stay. Uh, we, that all ropes can load. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anything we do for you, you okay? Yeah. You guys are more than spectacular. Thank you so much for that. No worries. Yeah. Come on, Thank you. 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 I know, I know it sucks that you got injured, but yeah, it's okay. It'll, it'll all work out fine. Hell of an adventure. I'm glad that I got to see you and hang out with you. Yeah, man, for sure. And we'll come sure. see you at the hospital. Cool. Well, that sounds really good. Oh, my brother, I'll be at the hospital. Hi, buddy. Thank you so much. You did, huh? You did. One, two, three. It's the last time you guys are going to have to do this. Last lift. Ooh, watch the watch that right foot. Watch the foot. All right, hold on. All right, sir. Okay, thank you, thank you. Coming on. Pretty cool recording, huh? So I tracked Eric down in France. Welcome to the show, Eric. Go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Eric Hingesbaugh. I was born in San Diego, California and grew up there. I've been living in Paris for the last three years. Um, I started climbing, I guess I've sort of been climbing here and there all, all my life, but um, I started climbing more seriously in 2010 when I joined the UCLA Outdoor Adventure Club and they uh, gave us a more serious introduction to what it means to, to use traditional pieces and, and climb in that way. Eric, that was quite the recording. I'm super glad you got it all because it makes for an interesting story. So tell us, what were some of the concerns you and your team had going into this adventure? Um, it was a little bit loose, and we, we'd been talking about that, you know, the entire morning, the entire walk up, how, you know, we're in this environment, we're climbing above 10,000 feet. Um, this type of train is, you know, inherent for loose stuff. So it was very, it was very present in our consciousness that there was going to be loose blocks, um, and to prepare for that and pay attention to that. Yeah, I would say that one of the biggest hazards climbing in alpine environments are just loose, loose blocks, loose rocks. Um, yeah. If you can go back into the Palisades and do it again, what would you do differently? Yeah. Um, 
you know, and we've been thinking a, a ton about that, I guess. And there, I think there's a few things that um, I would have done different. I think number one, um, I I think I had too much in my head about using this climb as a, a precursor to these longer climbs rather than looking at it for what it was. So for instance, in this like uh, mild section, I was pushing myself to to be efficient, pushing myself to uh, use gear only when I felt it was necessary. Um, and um, sort of look at it as, as, as if I was on this climb for a whole day, for instance. Um, and that led me to, and I wouldn't say running it out because putting 15 feet between pieces in a mellow alpine, in a mellow climb isn't uh, a ridiculous notion. Um, but I, this, this climb was, um, I wasn't protecting fall lines, essentially, that there was obstacles beneath me, like the ledge that I hit, that would have been missed had I placed another piece just, you know, at uh, a bit of a shorter interval. Um, so I think that was, uh, I think that was huge. I think it's, it, it, yeah, it feels so simple, right? Like place one more piece, but, um, I think in, in some of these cases, that's what it comes down to. And the other thing, uh, that we talked a lot about, um, was preparing the, and this isn't always the, the situation with all the climb with when you go climbing, cause generally you're just a pair, but in our case, because we were four, um, it would have been nice to communicate like exactly the, our lines. Like, you know, as we were walking up to the, to the feature and we could clearly see both of our, our climbs sort of talk to each other and point, point the lines out to each other. That way we would know exactly where we were relative to each other, uh, more or less. Um, because Brian and Gabe put themselves in some crazy situations, situations that would have almost created a, a second patient um, in an attempt to get to us. And had they known where we were and maybe been able to decide essentially whether to continue climbing up or whether to rappel down or whether to, to traverse over rather than essentially they made their decisions based on what they could hear and it sounded in this echoey mountain environment as if we were below them. And so they repelled based on that information rather than on what we would have discussed earlier um, or uh, what they would have known our route to be. So having that communication figured out from the get-go would have, I don't know if it would have changed anything, but they, other than that they would have gotten to us sooner and that they would have had a much safer go at getting to us uh rather than essentially you know they did some repels and had to waste gear as they repelled creating little um emergency repel anchors and so by the time they were at the base and realized we weren't down there and they had to climb back up they were pretty short on gear and climbing back up with a reduced rack was creating uh dangerous situations right so then what do you want your listeners to take away from all of this eric Oh my gosh. Um, I've reflected on a lot of things, but that hasn't necessarily been one of them. Um, yeah, I guess what I think the, the power of, of this podcast is, is, is to really share um, these types of experiences so that they're, they're not repeated, right? That we take away the learning from each other's mistakes and evolve as a community. Um, so 
gosh, I yeah. I pray you uh you put yourself in good people's hands. Um I'd I'd say get a woofer if you don't have one yet. Um and get you know, experience um in as many ways as possible. Yeah. And join a and a donate to your local SAR community, your local search and rescue community. That is definitely some good advice. Well, thanks, Eric, so much for chatting with me. Ashley, thank you. Thank you for sharing the stories. <laughs> no worries. They're your stories. I just created the platform for people to share them. Yes, thank you very much. And take it easy out there, huh? Yeah, you bet, Eric. You too. I'd like to thank all the listeners for tuning in. I want to give a shout out to Dougal McDonald, the executive editor of Accidents. He's been a huge supporter of making this podcast happen. And finally, I want to say thank you to the American Alpine Club. If you want to hear Eric's full story, simply click the link on the info section of this show and it'll take you right there. Also, if you're looking for another podcast to add to your collection, check out The Mountain Meister. Each week, the host Ben Shank picks the brains of the world's boldest adventurers. He covers things like risk, human behavior, and other thought-provoking, sometimes uncomfortable topics. Just search MTN Meister wherever you listen to your podcasts. Accidents in North American Mountaineering is an annual publication of the American Alpine Club with frequent online reports and updates. AAC members receive the book each year for free. So to learn more, visit AmericanAlpineClub.org. Until the next episode, play hard and be smart.